Welcome to the In The Scope podcast, where you read and hear new perspectives in the scope of different lenses. I am your host, Joshua M. Hicks, senior writer of We Are Regal Radio, aka War Media. In this edition, we have NBC Sports Chicago Bulls writer Rob Schaefer talking about Derrick Rose's tenure with the Bulls, as well as his thoughts regarding the Bulls' latest moves during the pandemic and the next steps he believes the Bulls need to take. Make sure to subscribe to War on Anchor, the home of the Indescope podcast, on all podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and the TuneIn app. And follow me on social media at thatguyjoshhicks on Instagram and at jhicks042 on Twitter. Also, make sure to check out the War Media site at weareregalradio.com to get all the hottest, latest content on all things sports and culture. Again, this is Joshua M. Hicks. I hope you enjoy the show. Uh. Ugh. <laughs> it's ill. Ugh. 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 Uh. What's up, everybody? This is Joshua M. Hicks, host of the Endoscope Podcast. This special edition, we have here Bulls writer for NBC Sports Chicago, Rob Schaefer. Rob, how are you doing? Hope all is well with you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, hey, Josh, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm good, and uh, hope you are as well. Excited to be on. Yeah, man, everything is well. Thank you for coming on the Info Podcast. We really appreciate it. we got a lot of things to talk about, but starting off, it's Derrick it's Rose Week with NBC Sports Chicago. You guys are utilizing this week to play all the top famous Derrick Rose uh, highlights and uh, throwback games during his tenure with the Bulls. So, have, have you enjoyed uh, watching these Prime D-Rose throwback games? Yeah, man. I mean, it's just been a ton of fun, um, especially because, you know, with the absence of sports and everything, we did uh, we did a couple uh, Bulls title runs from the dynasty years. We did uh, 96, um, and then we did 98 uh, with the last dance. We kind of tried to line that up. Um, and then this week our initiative was Derrick Rose. Uh, for me specifically, I- I'm a little bit on the younger side. I'm in my kind of early to mid-20s, so um, – Although I didn't grow up in Chicago, the Derrick Rose years and him kind of coming up through the league were some of my formative NBA fandom years. So it's been like the the the, the Dynasty Bowl uh, rewatches have been you know enormously educational for me, but these have been nostalgic in a much more uh, kind of emotional, um, guttural way. Um, and obviously, you know, uh, we're showing all the good stuff right now. But it, it, obviously, Bulls fans know better than anyone. He he really is one of the the great sports tragedies of our time, but um, it it is nice to remember what was great about it and what made him so special and enthralling and, and what made him matter kind of in the grand scheme of this era of basketball. Um, And the game so far, I I think we, so we did his first playoff game against the Celtics when he tied uh, Kareem's record for, for rookie scoring in a playoff debut. I mean, that's just a perfect basketball game top to bottom goes to OT and that Celtics team is, is a great set, even though they didn't have KG, both didn't have Luol Dang. That's that's a great Celtics team that they really, you know, took uh, took down to the wire that entire series. And then we had the Dragic dunk game last night. We're taping this on a Wednesday, so that was on Tuesday. Uh, and then tonight we have one from his MVP year where they come back from a 19-point halftime deficit to beat the Pistons. Uh, so it's just been fun, man. I mean, it's been fun watching him do his thing. It's been fun watching, you know, Prime Joe Keane do his thing. Um and just the whole squad, really, uh, it's really reminiscent of the best time period of Bulls basketball uh, that I can really say that I have been alive and sentient and paying attention to the NBA for. So 
um, it's good times while we wait for basketball to get back. Yeah, definitely. I mean, D. Rose was one of my favorite players growing up. I'm I'm around your age too. I'm around your age too. I'm 25. So for me to be actually actual Chicago uh, Chicago guy, Illinois guy, and to watch Derrick Rose play, I actually remember watching him play when he was at Simeon uh, down the state during the state mm-hmm. championship. So to see Derrick Rose come from Simeon and elevate, the, and then obviously go through his college career in Memphis and then come back to the Bulls, to see him. Uh, elevate in the way that he did and to get back in the city, not just through uh, sports, but also through philanthropy work and giving back to the city, man. It really means, it really was something special to watch and see. And some of those highlights that he would put on were just tremendous. I, me personally, my favorite game I saw Derrick Rose play was in, when he played the Miami Big Three in the Eastern Conference Finals. And the one, and it was, I believe it was game three, or either game three or game four in Miami, when he went on this when he went on this uh, streak of just going by everybody and having all these dunk highlights, and then he did the poster on Joel Anthony. That was my favorite play of Derrick Rose of all time. So that, the way he broke down that defense and for the way that he did just shows how special of a kid he really was. But I'm interested for you, for you Rob. Tell me, what is your favorite D. Rose Bulls or game moment? Ooh, good question. Uh, I think – Really, the game we showed Monday, I thought was just so awesome. The the 36-point Celtics playoff game. I I think off the top of my head, I'm bad at doing favorites, kind of like the one that is that kind of ranks above everything else. That game, that that Joel Anthony dunk, I think is underrated. Uh, You're absolutely right about that. Um, But just to see him as a rookie go in just so – I mean, the explosion that he could kind of erupt into and and the level of speed and dynamism and athleticism that he had, I mean – even myself, who appreciated it tremendously in the moment and, and will be the first one to laud him for it, you forget just how um, kind of eye-popping it is when you see it happen uh, on television. So seeing some of the you know ways that he was able to elevate and kind of the way he was able to make Rondo for a pretty good defensive guard at that point um, just look, you know, flat-out silly on certain possessions. I mean, he was uh, like on top of Kendrick Perkins' head a few times. Um, and then you think of the context of him being a rookie in that situation and basically already leading a team that is 500 and going up against the defending champs with so much pedigree in their home arena that, you know, the, the new garden in Boston is one of the better home court advantages in the NBA, I'd say. Um, and he really just, you know, grabbed that game by the horns and wouldn't let the Bulls lose. And I think right then you just, you just know immediately. I mean, he, he was already pretty much a locker rookie of the year at that point. But you just know when you see him on the biggest stage step up like that, that there was something special about him. And obviously nobody could have expected that three or four years later it would have already fizzled out. But right there you know that no matter what else happens for the rest of his career, this dude is going to do something or some string of things that are, that are special and memorable. So, so I'd say those are, those are probably – or that's probably my favorite Rose game that I can think of. Um, the bank shot against Cleveland just because that string of days back-to-back-to-back to back to back, uh, in Chicago were crazy. Um, he hits that buzzer beater in game three. Then two days later at the United Center, LeBron uh, hits the buzzer beater in game four, and obviously the series kind of unravels from there. But uh, that, that was one of, that's one of my favorite moments for the reason that um, it, it kind of just was a moment where he was back and uh, it, the celebration of him being held up by his teammates and he's got the perfectly straight face is just so perfectly Derrick Rose that it's – it almost makes you smile. Um, so, so those are the two that, that, that leap off uh, to me that, that spring to mind immediately. 
kind of that, that first moment when you really know that we're looking at someone truly special here. And then that moment against Cleveland was just, uh, you know, he's not done yet. Um, and he's obviously proved that over the last two years, kind of having that resurgence year with Minnesota. The 50-point game was special. Um, and he was great with Detroit this year, too. He always seems to play well when he uh, comes back to Chicago. So uh, th- those are the two that I would say uh, off the top of my head. But, but really, he's just a joy to watch in, in any context, in any mundane regular season game. Because if the ball's in his hand, you could be, you know, half a second to a second away from something amazing happening. And if you blink, you miss it. Those are some very special moments, man. I really appreciate you highlighting those things because he rose. It's like you said, he's a special guy on the court, man. And there's none like him. I don't think there ever is going to be anybody like him. So to rewatch these uh, throwback games and these special moments that D Rose had, especially during his post tenure, it's really is special to see. And I hope everyone continues to support NBC Chicago by watching those games uh, on your table on your on your, on your cable channels. But man, it is special to watch. So keeping on with the with the Derrick Rose discussion. You recently wrote an article uh, on the six on the six most painstaking what ifs from D Rose's Bulls tenure. Now we're recording this on a Wednesday, so it came out today. So you're getting heat exclusive uh, content from the man himself that wrote this. So, um, hmm. Rob, go in depth as far as what is your favorite. Um, well, before we go into that, give us a small synopsis of what of uh, these what ifs you are referring to within your article. Yeah, so so I just kind of tracked his career from start to finish, and and obviously, as much as we can highlight the special moments that he gave the city and Bulls fans and and really NBA fans, like if you appreciate the sport of basketball at all, um, you appreciate Derrick Rose. So I just kind of followed his career as I remember it and then looked back and even found some things that I had forgotten about um, and just looked, because it's a career that has so many hypotheticals, so many different ways it could have gone that might have been more fulfilling. Um, to just try to find, you know, what are the essential, you know, what if this had happened, uh, the fun thought experiments to go on. Uh, so the six that I landed on were, um, you know, number one, what if, you know, the, the Miami Heat big three, uh, LeBron, Chris Bosh, and, and Dwayne Wade, what if they had landed in Chicago? Um, I, you know, I can't get too into the weeds on it, but, but it actually was kind of closer to happening than, than I think I remembered. Um, and reports have kind of trickled out over the years on that. And maybe there's a little revisionist history to it. But, man, like – if they were able to swing that, you're talking about a starting five of, of D. Rose, Dwayne Wade, Braun, uh, Chris Bosh, and Joe Kim Noah. Like, I mean, the sky's the limit with that team. That's ridiculous even for – That's unfair. You know, that's, that's unfair. <laughs> and, you, and, they, and they still could have preserved Taj off the bench when I did the, the cap math on that. Um, right, right. So that's, I think – yeah, but I, that's sort of cut you off. But I think at that moment they did say that in the prime, you, if you flip – I think you mentioned if you flip Kirk Howard's contract, Mm-hmm. And you were able to trade Luol Deng, which at that time, I mean, it was it, was, it would have been tough to get away because Luol Deng was such a great Chicago boy. But at the same time, if you talking about getting LeBron James and Dwayne Wade to come to your city, I mean, you got to pull the trigger. But if you were yeah. to pull that off, you have like you said, you would have a certain lineup of Derrick Rose, D Wade, LeBron James, uh, Chris Bosh, and Joe Kim was still like you said, was preserving preserving Taj as your as your six-man potentially coming off the bench, that's insane. It's crazy. I mean, I can't even – I can't even imagine putting that team together, like, in 2K, man. Like, it's not even – it's not even conceivable, <laughs> that level of talent. Um, and the thing about the Heinrich thing, they actually did flip Heinrich before that summer along with um, their first-round pick that year, Kevin Serafin, and they, they cleared off $10 million in space because they knew that this was something that they wanted to pursue. 
Uh, obviously, they strike out on all of them, and you end up with kind of an assortment of role players, uh, you know, Carlos Boozer, Kyle Korver. Um, and it's not saying anything bad about those guys. You know, for the most part, those signings panned out about as well as they could have, but obviously it never results in, in, a, in a championship. And not only does it not result in a championship, the reason you come up short uh, for the next two seasons, aside from the injuries, is because Miami – uh, was basically running the East for that entire era. So you could have kind of killed two birds with one stone there. So I thought that was an interesting one. Um, then I mean, I, the biggest one, and, and I almost, you almost could have done a whole story on this alone, is uh, the what if he wasn't in the game, in that game one uh, of the 2012 first round, um, when he tore his ACL for the first time, and it seemed to kind of set off the injury dominoes. Um, because that game, I mean, uh, it, it's something that when you go back and rewatch it, it really stands out like, he was in that game with about a minute 20 to go and the bulls are up 12. Um, and it's just, that is not conventionally. You would, if you are really a championship, a team with, with the championship, you know, as your top priority, when you have a game kind of in hand like that, you would think that your best players, you, you got to get them out of the game, wrap them in bubble wrap, get them to the locker room, get them start icing early. Like you get ready for game two and let's keep our, you know, the train moving forward here. Um, and hindsight's twenty twenty on it, but obviously the, the way that game ends, they lose Rose for the rest of that postseason, they flame out against Philly, and then um, it, they just never capture that magic from his first three seasons uh, back again. So that was a what if, and then kind of the what if of what if, what if he doesn't get hurt at all, and what, what kind of trajectory is he looking at? And, I mean, I'd argue that the trajectory is a top five or ten point guard of all time, a surefire first ballot Hall of Famer, he might make the Hall of Fame anyway, um, but we're talking about like an all-time great point guard, I think, if he if the domino of injuries um, never starts. I'm sure most people would agree with that just based on what he showed in his first three or four years. Oh, yeah, most definitely. Most definitely completely agree with you on that. But you personally, since you did put out six different scenarios mm-hmm. of what if, what is your personal what if? Like what, if the, what was the biggest what if in your mind that if you think about that was like, Man, it could have, that really could have been special. Like, what was your biggest what if as you was writing out the six different scenarios in your article? Yeah. So the injury one, I think, is the obvious answer. Um, I think my favorite one to write was probably the David Blatt one. If, if, if I'm sure everyone in Chicago will remember this when David Blatt um, in game four of 2015, so the game when LeBron hits that buzzer beater I was talking about earlier, uh, he tries to call a timeout with eight seconds left of that game and the game tied, but the Cavaliers didn't have a timeout. If the ref sees him trying to call a timeout, it's a Chris Webber. Uh, the Bulls, basically the Cavs get assessed a technical foul. The Bulls would have gotten a free throw and the ball. So they would have basically gotten a chance with fouls to go up by three with less than 10 seconds left in a game that they could have taken a 3-1 lead over the LeBron James, Kyrie Irving, second, uh, second LeBron stint in Cleveland uh, Cavaliers. At that point, you're talking about two one lead with one game left in the United Center. Like, if they win that game, um, or, or if they find a way to to close that series out, I mean, it's no guarantee. We're talking about LeBron James, who overcame a three-one lead against the 2016 Warriors. Maybe you know, maybe the greatest regular season team of all time. Um, but if they do find a way to close that series out, you're in the Eastern Conference Finals. You face Atlanta. We all have our opinions of that Atlanta team from 2015. They won. 60 games in the regular season, but got just absolutely wiped off the floor by those Cavs. So I, I don't see any reason why the Bulls couldn't have handled them in, in uh, a hypothetical seven-game series. And then you've got a Warriors team in the finals, potentially, that hasn't won a title yet and hasn't reached that pinnacle, you know, 
the, this core now of Steph, Clay, and Draymond, I think, if they're all healthy, um, they're the de facto, you know, uh, maybe not best team in the league, but in a playoff series, I'm certainly reluctant to pick against them now. But back then, they don't have that pedigree yet. So, kind of who knows? I probably still pick the Warriors, but that what if I think was fun just because it's not necessarily wrapped up in the early Rose years. But I, I had really forgotten because we take it for granted, but there really was a set of dominoes that could have fallen where the Bulls have a real shot at the at the title in 2015. I mean, may, maybe it's a little bit too much hindsight, um, but that black thing is just such a funny little historical moment that um, I had really forgotten about until I sat down and dug into this. Uh, but it's a, it's a moment that could have swung a lot of things. It could have swung LeBron's time in Cleveland. It could have swung the Warriors' dynasty. It could have swung uh, the way we think about the, the Bulls in the 2010s and the Jimmy Butler, Derrick Rose Corps. Um, you know, the, the summer before that is when they tried to sign Carmelo Anthony, which they almost pulled off. That was another what if. Like, those things are all uh, baked into this. So that was probably my most fun one uh, to go down the rabbit hole on because uh, it's just such a weird, quirky thing that, uh, I don't know, if I'm, a, if I'm a Bulls fan, that keeps me up at night still to this day, especially because of how much the city hates LeBron, um, to have been kind of robbed of that chance to have such a commanding advantage against them. Um, so that, that was probably my most fun one to, to research without a doubt. Man, I think for, I think for me, it has to be the big three. I mean, you cannot tell me, you you can't, you can't tell me that if you came to, if we had Derrick Rose, D-Wade, LeBron James, Chris Bosh, and Joe Kim Noah all in their prime That's in Chicago. Oh my God. You thought, now you're talking about a potential another six ring dynasty now. Well, so the, but the reason I think six rings is probably excessive is because I don't – teams just don't stay together that long anymore. I can't imagine that Le, LeBron would have wanted to stay in Chicago more than four years, right? Because that's what he did in Miami. That's true. That's true. That's true point. But you never know. You, I mean, you never know. I just like to think of it that we could have had at least another three-peat in Chicago, which would have been a huge stamp on LeBron's resume, especially as, you know, if you're trying to chase Jordan, which he has been doing – for years and is the man up front to do so even right now to this uh, to this point. Uh, everybody tuning in right now, you're listening to Bulls writer Rob Schaefer. So let's transition, Rob, to not to, not just memories of the of the older Bulls, but now mm-hmm. the reality of the Bulls. Um, the Bulls today, um, obviously during the pandemic and during the last dance era, uh, they made some pretty pretty heavy hires. They hired um, Arturis Karnisovic. I hope that's how you say his name. I, I I'm saying I'm going with AK because that's just the easiest way to say it. AK, I've been doing the same thing, man. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, I've been doing the same thing. Yeah, so AK and uh, Mark Eversley of the new the new tandem, the new dynamic duo that the Bulls have hired, um, with Mark Eversley being the first like GM in the franchise's history, and this there's this new direction now that it seems like the Bulls are finally taking place after a decade plus of outcry <laughs> from uh, Bulls fans and even some of us both reporters. So when you heard about that hiring, what was your first reaction to those hiring? Yeah, well, my first reaction, because this was actually my, my first year on the beat, was like, oh, my God, like, this, this, could you have scripted a crazier year from um, the playoff expectations to the season crashing and burning and the All-Star games here and, and Kobe Bryant tragically passes, and now, you know, for the first time in – uh, you know, like you said, a decade or, you know, depending on what position we're talking about, 22 years for, for uh, you know, getting Gar Foreman out of the organization. It's, it's an unprecedented front office overhaul. So 
my first thought was just like, wow, I cannot believe the time that we're living in um, from the pandemic to this, to all the different things going on in the NBA. Um, and then when you start looking into the um, AK and Eversley, kind of their backgrounds and, and what they could do for the Bulls as hires, um, you start to get a little excited, honestly, because everything in their history indicates that they have the, ca- the capacity and the capability to shift the culture uh, that the Bulls have kind of long established at this point. Um, and the biggest thing to me that, that is an indicator of that is their emphasis on, on player relationships specifically, because when we talk about what went wrong with the Bulls this year, uh, I think a lot of it is you look at the, you look at the roster top to bottom and, and Kobe obviously finished the season incredibly strong, you know, super optimistic about him. But outside of him and Wendell, I think, had a pretty steady year. Zach is really the only player on the roster that got significantly better and kind of made the leap that fans expected from them this year. Um, and when you look at, you know, why players like, you know, Lowry Markin, and I think is the big, big, biggest example of someone who regressed, when you look at why that is, it's because, you know, player development has not – not that it's not been a priority for the team, but I don't think the, the front office as constituted in the past knew exactly how to um, go about developing their players in the right way, empowering them and setting up um, the right situations for them to succeed. Uh, and now you look at a guy like Karnishavis, who uh, comes from a, a great uh, – an organization with a great history of success um, in player development and in, you know, at least back in regular season wins in Denver. I mean, they haven't, you know, been to uh, conference finals um, to this point, but they still built something that is that is very strong and well-respected there. And you look at the, the guys that they found, uh, whether it be at the top of the draft, um, in Jamal Murray or Michael Porter that have panned out, um, or you look at the guys they've snagged late, uh, the Monty Morrises, the, the Jokic's, oh, Jokic is the biggest example. Um, when you look at these guys' talent evaluation and their ability to relate to players, find out what makes them tick, and then extract the most from them, um, it, it's really just the polar opposite of what we saw from the Bulls this year, which was a team that performed under its talent level. Um, it, it didn't seem from my seat, at least, like this team was a team that should have finished with 22 wins based on the talent on the roster. Obviously they're a young team and they're going to be growing pains with that. And nobody was expecting them to to make a run at home court advantage in the first round of the playoffs or win a playoff series or anything. But um, there, there's, there's reason for excitement uh, for those reasons. So those were the first things uh, that I thought of. And then beyond that, it's kind of, all right, what comes next? Uh, they've made some, uh, ancillary front office hires, uh, Pat Connolly as VP of player personnel, JJ Polk as uh, assistant GM. He's a calf expert. He's a calf guy. Um, and these are all things of just staffing up areas of the front office where in the past uh, the Bulls have kind of trusted one or two people to wear all the different hats across the organization. The fact that we now have people or now the, the fact that they now have people in place there that are breaking down departments very analytically and in a very calculated way and saying, okay, we need this person who I know and who is respected and who is going to do the job right. We need these people here. We need these people here. And we need to delineate responsibilities very clearly um, and attack this with a cohesive strategy. Uh, That's a departure from how the Bulls have operated um, in the past. The Bulls know that. I mean, they wouldn't have made these changes if they didn't think um, that they needed to do things differently. Um, and we won't know exactly how it's all going to pan out until they get on the court again. But, you know, while they're 0-0 and while these guys are saying and doing all the right things, there's really, to me, no reason to be anything other than excited. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a lot of changes that, that are going on, and you talked a little bit about the next steps. Um, obviously, one of the biggest question marks now with this ne- within this next step process is the head coaching position. Um, it's been reported that there's a there's a torn uh, a torn type of system, a relationship when it comes to whether to keep Jim Boylan or not from the front office. You got the, the the duo, the new dynamic duo that kind of wants to move on, but reported that Michael Reinsdorf, John Paxton, and Jerry Reinsdorf wants Jim Boylan to stay. Uh, but we both know that at the same time, AK and Mark have the power to do what they need to do. So if they want to want to go in a different direction, they're following their lead. Uh, what have you heard regarding the Bulls' coaching situation at this moment? Yeah, so the it, it, there's not there hasn't been much concrete uh, that's come out, um, you know, in the last time that uh, that AK publicly spoke. He basically said that it, the decision is going to have to wait until he gets to Chicago. He says he'll be here soon, and it was left kind of ambiguous when he'll be here. Um, but he said that he's going to need to get in the room with Jim, um, kind of look him in the eye, establish a relationship with him. Um, and go over, you know, what befell the team last season before he makes the ultimate decision. And a lot of people are impatient. Um, and, you know, I, I see that. I, I totally understand why that is. Um, you know, when you look at everything with Jim from the one loss record to the instances of uh, appearing to kind of publicly quibble with players, and th- there's a lot working against him, I think, um, in terms of if he's going to stay or not. Um but it doesn't seem like that decision is coming, you know, in the immediate, immediate future. Uh, and in terms of um, um, the, the, the dynamic between ownership and AK uh, slash Eversley, um, you're definitely right, I think, in saying that it's going to be their decision at the end of the day. Um, I think it, the, the message from ownership has been more to the side of, hey, just give Jim a chance and let, you know, make this a thoughtful and deliberate decision as opposed to one that just kind of gets fired off from the hip immediately. Um, and ultimately, you know, this point has been made a lot by, by, by a few different people. Um, I think fans and media both. Um, it's ultimately not the worst thing in the world. I don't think for the bulls to take their time on this. It, it's, it's to me reflective of Karnishavis being a thoughtful um, and calculated guy. I think that's a good quality to have in an executive, especially considering uh, what the bulls have had um, in management spots in the past. Um, and just with this organization's history of kind of unceremoniously axing coaches, um, I think it was Scott Skiles and Tim Floyd were both fired on, on Christmas Eve uh, or somewhere very much in the vicinity of Christmas. And, you know, uh, when Thibodeau was let go, there was obviously that statement, which, which felt a little uh, scathing for, for someone who had um, – done so much for the organization and, and led them to their, their greatest run of success since the dynasty. So I don't think it's the worst thing in the world to, to take, take your time. And, and this is part of establishing a new culture is kind of flipping the perception league wide of, you know, we don't just treat our coaches like commodities. We treat them like human beings. And as much as people might not believe it um, when, you know, opposing coaches come into the United center, um, there people do have respect for Jim Boylan. He's been around the league for a long time. He's made a lot of friends. Um, he's, uh, you know, a part of uh, a coaching tree from Greg Popovich that has spawned a lot of coaches. So he's got, you know, um, people that he has relationships with and respect for there. So it's not the worst thing in the world that they're taking their time, but it seems unequivocally like they are going to take their time. Um, When it comes down to it, you know, when I think about what you want in a coach moving forward, I'm not sure that, that Jim is the guy and there's, uh, 
there's a track record. There's a history of when new executives come into organizations like this, they generally will want to have their own person um, at the helm there. It just, you know, it, it's just good to kind of have the clean slate there um, and be able to have your own guy at the controls from the start so that you can kind of maximize uh, the strategy that you wanted to put into place from the beginning. And that's especially, I think, important for the Bulls to kind of hit the ground running with this because, um, you know, Zach's got two years left on his current deal. You're going to have to hammer out an extension for Lowry if you want to re-sign him. Wendell will be up for an extension next year. Um, as much as they're one of the youngest teams in the league, they do need to show some progress soon with this core or else things are going to really start to get messy. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it's still up in the air, it seems, and it seems like we're going to have to wait a little bit, but it's the nature of a nine-month-long offseason, potentially, with this pandemic. Um, things are just moving slower these days. And, uh, you know, when we know if AK and Eversley are in Chicago, um, expect the process to be, you know, move a little quicker from there. But as of now, we don't know, you know, when exactly they'll be here. So, so obviously you mentioned that it's very unsure that Jim Borland will be back, even especially since we have to wait for them to do their due diligence and due process and uh, before they make that type of decision. Let's just play, play hypothet- a hypothetical game, and let's just say that he does not come back. Um, it's been reported by the Sun Times that Ime Udoka, uh, who is the 76th assistant, is one of the front runners to potentially be in that replacement, uh, yeah. as well as uh, Bulls assistant, former Bulls assistant, and current Raptors assistant Adrian Griffin. Mm-hmm. Um, who do you believe would be a good ideal candidate for the Bulls to truly consider being the next head coach if it does get to that uh, to that type of discussion? Yeah, I mean, I think those two names are uh, a great starting point if you want to, um, you know, talk about prospective candidates, uh, hypothetically, for sure. Um, Udoka is someone that I, frankly, you know, on, to, to be honest, didn't know a ton about uh, before that report, but I've since looked into him. And um, he's a defensive-minded guy, uh, you know, reports that he's known for his his player interaction um, in Philly, and he's respected for that. So that, that to me, checks the box and is a good sign. Um, and, you know, I, I've seen him uh, in reports described as kind of Philly's defensive coordinator. Um, and when you look at the Sixers and, and what, what they've done over the last few years, um, they've been one of the best defensive teams in the NBA. And, you know, obviously they have the personnel for it. Uh, when you have uh, two players like Simmons and Embiid as your, as your core, you're going to be a great defensive team. And then you stock around them with, you know, guys like Josh Richardson and Al Horford. Um, you know, you've got the right tools to work with there, but still to, to, to know that that was his responsibility and it has been actualized and there are real results to it um, is definitely a good thing. So Udoka, I think, is, you know, seems to me like a strong candidate. Um, Adrian Griffin, too, obviously has paid his dues on the bench in, uh, in, in Toronto and, and he's been with the Bulls, too. Um, and everything you hear about him is that he's just a tremendous, well-respected, um, real leader type guy. Um, and that there's another box that, that you're definitely going to need to check um, if you are looking for a new person, uh, especially with how much emphasis uh, there should be on um, on the player development aspect uh, with whoever, you know, would step in. Um, so I think Adrian Griffin's a guy that's paid his dues and has been around winning basketball. So, you know, you can never sniff at that. Um, and then just the other name that's been floating around that has always been interesting to me is Kenny Atkinson. I think, you know, his one loss record isn't exactly what you would want, but when you look at the context of the situation he stepped into in Brooklyn, 
um, where they were pretty much bereft of draft picks entirely for the latter part of this decade um, and still built and developed enough talent uh, around that team that they were able to sneak into a playoff spot last year, get D'Angelo Russell onto an all-star team and set themselves up to be positioned to get, you know, two of the biggest for agent signings of the summer, if not the biggest in Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. I think that's an incredibly impressive job of coaching to get, to take that situation from so mired in um, pretty much doom to being desirable. I think that's, that's impressive. Um, they have a very modern style of play that I think would mesh well with how the Bulls want to steer the organization. Um, in fact, a lot of the way, a lot of things about the Bulls' offensive system this year reminded me of the Nets um, two or three years ago when they were first kind of starting out their rebuild. Um, so that, that could also be a point of, uh, of meshing well. So, so those are three names that, that, that are talked about a lot, but I think all three would certainly represent uh, desirable candidates and people that, like, people are excited about the, the front office hires. I think those are three people that you could, as a fan, pretty safely get excited about, um, especially with such a young team uh, that the Bulls are uh, dealing with here. And I think it's really important to highlight as well, as you mentioned all these, these coaches, I think that, like, you're a great candidate. But at the same time, um, you had to look at your roster and see what type of roster makeover they're willing to make to even get to that next step. Because like you said, you need to have a coach that knows how to uh, help develop talent and have a coaching staff that knows how to help develop talent. But you have a new lead- you have a new leadership that's received- that since the hirings have been receiving a lot of high praise. And player- players, you know, they talk about they talk about these things. And the biggest not on the Bulls, outside of the fact that they haven't been able to win much, was the fact that they always whip on big-time free agents. Mm-hmm. And going into an offseason where you have a, at least a couple free agents or a couple superstar options available, uh, having that player uh, interaction and that player relationship with the coach and in your front office, it could potentially at least get a seat at the table, depending on who their coach is, with some of these, with some of these athletes. I know it's a stretch with Anthony Davis and him doing so well with LeBron in L.A. Obviously, mm-hmm. we're not expecting him to lead, but he's a, he's a hometown kid. When asked the question if he wanted to play wanted to play for the Bulls, he did leave that door somewhat open, whether he was joking or not. He technically left it open, and the Bulls have changed their front office. And if they bring in a reputable coach, you never know. You could have a seat with Anthony Davis. Um, another player that comes to mind potentially as well is DeMar DeRozan, obviously he's more on the lower end of all-star, of the all-star talent that's representing the league, but he's an all-star. He has a great relationship with Mark Eversley. And, you know, his situation with the Spurs isn't going too well to a point where he may be out of there soon too. So mm-hmm. when you have superstar players like that that potentially may be on the table, whether it be a trade or free agency, I think it's important that you bring in a coach that knows how to relate to both parties. He knows how to relate to the young guys where he can help develop their talent. But at the same time, have be able be able to gel with the superstars, and I think that really highlights to um, the fact that you know, like the front office has said, player relationships. So I think it's really important that whoever they do bring in, if whether Jim Boylan stays or whether he goes and they bring in someone else to come in, I think it's really it's vital and important to have someone that can relate to both superstars as well as the young talent when it comes to developing and creating a winning culture within that uh, within that locker room. Oh yeah, no, no doubt. You just hit, yeah, you hit so many nails uh, on the head right there because, you know, the Bulls aren't going to, they're, they're pretty locked into the roster they have right now for next season. 
but when you look at the summer of 2021 and, and Giannis is another big name, I mean, he's right, he's right up the road. Um, and we were looking at a situation uh, a couple months ago where it's like, man, like one of the three biggest markets in the country with such a storied tradition and, you know, purportedly this uh, um, promising young core, you know, are they even close to in the conversation of getting a meeting uh, with Giannis if he does decide to test the waters? Um, so I, I think I think it's definitely fair to say that it's too early to get ahead of ourselves there because um, you got to see the team actually go out and perform next year and get to a level where they are a desirable location because the strength of the market and smart guys in charge um, and the storied history can only get you so far. It, these guys care, you know, especially when you get to the the highest caliber of NBA superstar. You know, they want to win. Um, that that's a hugely important, if not the most important, part of players' decision-making process. Uh, Anthony Davis, it's going to be um, interesting to see how he plays his free agency because he has, you know, an opt-out this year. Um, if he wants to lock in that extension with the Lakers now or wait until we know more about the, the cap um, because it will get affected by by uh, revenue getting dinged by, by the pandemic hiatus. Um, but, but you're 100% right. Like, that is a huge thing is flipping the, the league-wide – perception of the Bulls from, you know, a situation where we just spent the first 15 minutes of this podcast talking about how they struck out on every marquee free agent in the summer of 2010. And that's when things were really were going super well and, and were promising. And they did have a, a core that had legit had results um, to back what people were saying that they had big potential. Um, so, yeah, that's why this year is going to be so important or, or a part of why this year is going to be so important. And it's why, it's important, like you said, whether it's Jim or whether it's someone else and whether, you know, this core stays intact or whether things get shuffled a little bit, whatever the front office decides to do with this next season, it's pretty imperative that they nail it because if the Bulls go through another uh, big NBA um, reshuffling of, of top-tier talent um, without really anything to show for it, um, it it's just going to be – more years mired in, you know, mediocrity at best and, and back into the, the depths of a rebuild um, at the worst. And even beyond free agents, like you said, the trade market, like superstars are always going to be, um, you know, get unhappy in their situation and, and look to force their way out of places. And you just, if you're a team that's rebuilding, you just have to do as much as you can to be in a position to have assets and to have a desirable location where um, you can make a run at whoever the next, the next guy is to get displeased in the situation, whether it's a guy like, Carl Anthony Towns um, or someone along those lines. Um, you just, you just want to be in a position to be competitive for those guys. And the Bulls weren't this year. Uh, maybe they can be going forward. That's, that's the hope. Yeah. And I like that you brought up the trade uh, market asset because, and because at, at the end of the day, we have two cornerstone players that the Bulls have and Zach Levine and Laurie Markkinen. And, you know, between them stories, especially within this past year, it's been a really up and down roller coaster. Um, from Jim Boylan getting getting offensively trying to work things out with Larry Marketing and him slipping back, Zach Levine basically being a one-man show on the court and trying to figure out, like, where is the help? You don't want to make – if you if the Bulls really truly believe in those cornerstone uh, franchise players, you, you have to do what you can to keep them and to make them happy. So what do you expect since you're now pretty much preparing for the next season? What do you expect or would like to see out of Zach Levine and Laurie Marketing coming into the next year um, as the cornerstone foundations of this young team? 
Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think it'll depend on when the Bulls are kind of able to reassemble um, or when they'll want to reassemble because, uh, you know, the, the pandemic obviously complicates all this stuff. Zach's not in Chicago right now. Lowry is, um, or at least the last time um, I had heard he, he was. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if this kind of practice scrimmage thing that, that AK seems to be a proponent of and, a lot of these eight teams that were left out of the Orlando uh, season resumption um, are in favor of, which is getting all the, the bottom eight teams together and scrimmaging or practicing or doing something competitive so that um, they don't just go into next season cold. Uh, I would say if something like that was to happen, um, you know, obviously these aren't going to be real games, so we're not going to be like crunching numbers on anybody or anything, but um, just to see them like work fluidly together. Um, to, Cause you know, as much as, they both have the talent. And like you said, Zach uh, was carrying a huge load uh, for a lot of this year. And Lowry was more up and down when Lowry was up. And when Zach was up, it, those two things didn't seem to line up, um, you know, exactly in, in enough situations where you could be confident that they, um, you know, are the two pillars that are going to carry the bulls to contention. That's where we stand right now. Um, I think the hope is that that changes because they've invested a lot in the both of them in terms of time resources. And then eventually, uh, money in Lowry's case and if they extend back in two years. So I, I just want to see them gel uh, on the court um, maybe a little bit better uh, than they did this year if there is any kind of semi-competitive um, thing this summer. Um, and other than that, I mean, I would just be monitoring uh, the things that they're saying about the new management uh, pretty closely because um, AK has said that uh, one of his top priorities when he gets to town is – you know, sitting down, talking with Lowry, establishing that relationship, figuring out what went wrong last year and what they can do uh, to correct that. Zach has been very complimentary about new management as well. He said that um, him and Eversley specifically have have talked individually uh, and in in terms of uh, as a group with the whole team. Um, So, yeah, like you said, I mean, no matter how this season went, those two remain the two probably most important and front-facing pieces on the Bulls moving forward. So I would say just track – just track what they're saying about new management and if there's a new coach, track what they're saying about the new coach and what the sentiment seems to be there. Um, and then if we do get to see them play together, uh, you know, let's just see if they can get on the same page a little bit more this year um, than was possible last year for, for whatever reason, whether it be injuries, whether it be game plan stuff, whether it be just kind of they never got hot at the same time. Um, there, were, there were no games where it was the Zach and Lowry show. It was kind of – it was mostly the Zach show, and then there were a few games when Lowry played well. Um, but if this Bulls rebuild is to pan out the way that it looked like it was going to at the beginning of this season, um, you're going to need more of the two of them um, working in tandem. What do you have next coming up in your article, writing, man? Give, give us an insight on what you have coming up next. Are you still going to be doing writing? Are you doing vacation? I mean, what, <laughs> what, what, do, we go? what do you got coming up next? No, no vacation for me for a little bit. Uh, we got some off-season stuff to get through, and, and then the dra- and then the draft will be coming up. Uh, you know, there there will be um, a lot of stuff to prep for and research and, and write about there uh, in the summer. Um, in terms of the direct future, uh, tomorrow, um, as we're taping this tomorrow, by the time people hear this, it'll be Thursday. Uh, we're going to keep the Derrick Rose week uh, stuff going, and I'll, I'll be writing about um, his Hall of Fame case tomorrow. Uh, so I don't want to spoil what conclusion I came to there. Um, but I'll be kind of I, – I dove into the numbers there a little bit and dove into, you know, not just how his resume stacks up with a lot of other people that have made the Hall of Fame or not made the Hall of Fame, but also what his impact on the game is because, you know, as much as the Hall of Fame is kind of a 
a, you kind of have to check your resume to get in. Um, I'm of the belief that, that those types of um, institutions should also have a responsibility to be kind of a museum, uh, a historical display of all the things that mattered in NBA history. And, I mean, I hope it's not the Chicago bias talking, but I really do think that, that Derek Rose, even though they never reached the heights that they wanted, I really do think he matters uh, in the course of NBA history in terms of the talent, in terms of the, the things he was able to do on the floor that we just hadn't seen before, even if it didn't end in the right way. Um, so in the immediate future, I'll be, I'll be writing about that. And then uh, moving forward, um, we'll, we'll just be hitting the offseason stuff, man, hitting what to watch as we move through um, this kind of unprecedented time uh, in the NBA and for the Bulls especially because, you know, we just don't know when the next Bulls basketball game uh, will be. And then hopefully if it goes out without a hitch, we'll get some, uh, we'll get some games in Orlando in, uh, in July and August, uh, which will be fun to follow, and uh, there will certainly be stuff to spin off of there as well. Um, so, yeah, it'll yeah, definitely, uh, definitely for a time that uh, we're still stuck in the house for the most part, I mean, things are starting to open up, um, the NBA is keeping me busy. So I appreciate that. Yeah, I feel you, man. Continue to work hard, continue to stay busy, and uh, give us all the insights that you can. We'll be looking forward to reading your article as well on Embassy Sports Chicago. Everybody tune into that. Where can they find you on your social media um, to check out the, uh, the work that you're doing. Yeah, for sure. Um, so on Twitter, I'm at Rob underscore Shafe. Um, all articles go up on NBCSportChicago.com. And, um, yeah, we at NBC Sports Chicago, our Bulls team, we have a podcast called the Bulls Talk Podcast, um, which I think uh, my buddy Tony Gill, who I think was on this show um, uh, a few days ago, if I saw on Twitter right, uh, he produces that and, and throws that all together and works with magic. Um, and it's always a good time there. So, um, yeah, definitely hit those if you're uh, looking for all the bull stuff we can we can muster uh, in this time. Yeah, Tony Gill's my guy. Shout out to Tony if you listen to this podcast. Big man. shout Appreciate out to Tony. Yeah, doing, doing big stuff. And you guys in NBC Sports Chicago in general are doing really big stuff. But and that being said, Rob, thank you for taking the time to come on the In The Scope podcast. Really appreciate it. We look forward to having you on again soon. And in the meantime, no keep doing what you're doing, and we'll talk later. You too, man. Keep it up, and uh, thanks for having me. No problem, man. Talk to you later.